Welcome to episode 10 of Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift programming language um, and other Swift news. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Samard. So today we have a sponsor. I'd like to tell you about uh, Perfect. Perfect is a server-side development framework for learning and uh, producing apps with server-side Swift. Uh, so whether you're new or experienced with doing this, uh, Perfect has a number of great examples, tutorials, samples uh, for you to learn and practice your skills for, for this growing market here. Um, save developers time if you're looking for articles, examples, videos even that can help. The Perfect teams pull together uh, this onboarding matrix is what they call it with a bunch of resources. Uh, you can find it at perfect.org slash learn.html. Um, so there's also obviously the documentation that they have uh, on perfect.org and you can find all of their open source code on github.com slash perfectly soft slash perfect. Uh, so once again, check it out, perfect.org slash learn.html. Thanks again for Perfect for sponsoring the show. Great. So today uh, we're going to talk about a number of things. Uh, but first off, there's a proposal uh, that went through recently that got accepted and even implemented for multi-line string literals in Swift. Hooray! Uh, yeah, finally. In queue celebration. <laughs> I think this is something a lot of people have been wanting for a while. Uh, but JP knows a little more about the history than I do. So I'll let him take you through that because this actually... Way yeah. to set me up there, <laughs> Jesse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I better know my stuff here. Yeah, so essentially um, what's happened is that just about a year ago, you uh, you had someone from the community, uh, his name's John Holdsworth, and you might know him um, from the Injection for Xcode project uh, that uh, basically provides hot reloading of native code. This used to work back in Objective-C. This, this project's been around for quite some time. I think at some point it was renamed to Juice for Xcode. Um, but it provides the same kind of hot reloading functionality uh, that things like React Native get you. And mm -hmm. uh, for experienced JavaScript developers uh, or Ruby or all of these frameworks, especially more geared towards kind of dynamically interpreted languages, have a lot of this kind of hot reloading aspect. And John's been uh, doing these very interesting projects for years uh, that allows doing the same kind of hot reloading for Objective-C and also for Swift, uh, which is even less dynamic than Objective-C in some cases. And just the work that he's done there is amazing. So I just wanted to call that out uh, very briefly as an aside. And John's been interested in, um, in multi-line string literals for quite a while. It's this idea that's been floating around in the Swift community for for well, since Swift came out, really, people were saying, "Oh, right. why don't you have these same neat features as Perl and Ruby?" Uh, and this was an obvious one. Yeah. Um, currently, well, I guess uh, a brief explanation for any listeners who may not know: this is, you know, currently in Swift, if you want to, if you have a really long string, you want to write it on multiple lines, you'd have to use string concatenation. So you'd have, you know, some string plus another string plus another string until you're finished. This is uh, not 
the prettiest thing. And it's, it also comes with uh, some performance costs because string concatenation is not necessarily cheap, especially if you're doing this a lot. That's right. Um, and so people have resorted to doing things like keeping those long strings that would otherwise just be compiled into the program as like a string asset file <laughs> so that they can avoid the compilation hit, uh, which is crazy to me. Right. Um, people, myself included, have actually resorted to uh, avoiding uh, all of this string concatenation, which usually would use the uh, the plus operand and therefore hits sometimes the operator uh, compilation cost where the compiler has to resolve, okay, well, what version of this operator is being used here? And that can have a pretty significant hit to your compilation time if, say, there is a bunch of uh, plus operators that are concatenating these strings. So some people have resorted to doing things like you have an explicitly typed string array and then calling dot joined on it, which again <laughs> is like incurring another uh, runtime hit just to have a longer string in your app. It's bananas. Right, right. Or, and then the obvious alternative is to just have a really long string that wraps, which is ugly. That wraps, uh, yeah. Or, you know, you can have like inline, uh, new line characters that are in your string, <laughs> which makes like, trying to parse that string visually as, as a human with eyes completely a terrible experience. Um, so it's one of those really small things on the surface that can really improve developer ergonomics, especially if you end up doing these super suboptimal workarounds. Um, and the workarounds are, are worse than the issue that you're actually working around in the first place. That's true. But lo and behold, what happens when you unleash uh, a product or a language onto thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of developers, they Possibly. end up finding a way. <laughs> yeah. Strings uh, find a way. And so multi-line literals have, has floated around uh, quite a bit in the last few years. And uh, John has seen this and he took it upon himself to actually um, to, to build this into the language. So April 22nd, 2016, almost forever ago <laughs> in Swift uh, timeline, uh, John produced the first pull request uh, before anything even went through Swift Evolution. Um, he just produced adjustments to the Lexer that would uh, at least not crash if you produced a multi-line string literal. And the way that he was doing this was uh, with a uh, marker of three quote uh, characters mm -hmm. uh, to to denote the beginning of a multi-line string that was then terminated with another three uh, quote literals. And so he, he produced this pull request into the Swift source and basically said, uh, people want this. Here's the first step in getting us in that direction. And if anyone is familiar with this at all, uh, it, it, it took a few days for someone from uh, the, the Swift team, and in fact, it was Chris Latner um, two days later that said, well, this is super interesting and not to take any, anything away from the work that you did, but this needs to go through Swift evolution before any anything like this can proceed. Right. And that started the year-long process of John continuously pushing, going through Swift evolution, going through the proper channels, having... Uh, review periods, having an official proposal, everything that's involved, all of that overhead to essentially get back to what he was on April 22nd, 2016, back to the point where he could actually be pushing code. Yeah. 
Um, so that's what started this uh, this ongoing journey of getting multi-line string literals into the language. And of course, this being pre-Swift 3, um, this change was deemed not ready for Swift 3 and therefore was punted for a whole other year until it could be revisited uh, for Swift 4. The joys of Swift evolution. Yes, uh, the, the process that everyone loves to hate to love. <laughs> Yeah, so this brings us to uh, a couple weeks ago uh, where this proposal for multi-line strings was finally um, approved and also implemented. It will be in Swift 4 now. And the syntax uh, of this, like the, the implementation here is, is pretty interesting. Um, so like JP mentioned before, in the original uh, pull request, uh, from John, you, you start with a triple quote and you end with a triple quote. But in the uh, acceptance email, uh, the core team elaborates on a few other specifications of like how you actually do this. So one interesting thing is that the spacing and tabs before each line of the string need to be the same for every single line. So you'd have three quotes, new line, you have a line of text and then multiple lines of text there. And each line needs to have the same spacing in front of it. Yeah, I think um, the the strict formal definition is that the terminating set of uh, characters, so mm-hmm. the terminating three quote characters, um, their indentation level is the minimum indentation level that you can use for the rest of the string above it. Mm-hmm. If you have anything that is under indented from that, so say um, you're using spaces instead of tabs, please fight amongst yourselves <laughs> if you listen to this. Um, say that the terminating set of uh, characters are um, four spaces in. No part of the multi-line string above that can be anything less than four four spaces. Same thing for tabs. If it's indented with two tabs, this terminating set of characters, everything above it must be two tabs or more. And basically what that does is it provides kind of a visual representation of the beginning of uh, the string, basically the the leftmost column, if you will, of of this multi-line string. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a nice visual look, but unfortunately, unlike other languages like Ruby, where if you do end up under-indenting any part of your multi-line string, what ends up happening is it it just resets kind of what the baseline uh, column is for that string. It's still a valid multi-line string. Mm -hmm. In Swift, that's an error. That's an invalid string literal and if you're using any sort of external editor other than Xcode that will hopefully work yeah. and properly indent this, uh, you might um, you might not have the greatest developer ergonomics user experience as you're like writing your multi-line string and you're hitting these compiler errors. And hopefully, the fixits that have yet to be written will help with this. Yeah, I, that's what surprised me the most about this. I think it's really nice that it's enforcing these nice like aesthetics of like how this is going to look. It's going to be easier to read uh, by enforcing this. But it, it was surprising to me to see that incorrect indentation is a hard error and you won't be able to compile until you you fix that. 
And I think there were there are currently some issues with um, improving the diagnostics here. Is that still? Yeah, that's right. There's a starter task. Uh, if you have Jira open, which I'm sure you do, it's SR <laughs> 4701. Um, and uh, there, there's been a call for uh, for encouraging folks to go and um, help out with this. Uh, it is uh, maybe it's not listed as a yeah it is listed as a starter task. So better diagnostics for multi-line string literals. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in, but uh, as Michael Ilzeman uh, mentions, we need better diagnostics notes telling why the literal is invalid. In some cases, fixits. So, for example, the fixit that you get right now, uh, if you have any any part of the string that is under indented mm-hmm. compared to the terminating characters, uh, you'll get an error saying invalid mix of multi-line string literal indentation, <laughs> um, which uh, I hope that that's actually provided. Uh, no, it is not. Unfortunately, that's provided not where the under indented line is. It's produced at the line where the terminating characters are. Mm. Uh, so if you have a long string, you do need to go and visually inspect. And it shouldn't be that hard, um, but I think we can all agree that the developer ergonomics here aren't super smooth due to this decision, but it does make the uh, success case, the the happy path, it, it does make it visually pleasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine this, this would probably only be hard for like, really early beginners, um, people new to programming that may not, I don't know, be familiar with with these things. I, well, even then, or a polyglot programmer that's used to how uh, multi-line strings work in Ruby. Even an experienced programmer, you sure. kind of have to do a context switch and, and just recall like, okay, well, what's valid in Ruby isn't valid here. That's true. Right. Um, and if you're doing something like, <laughs> so for example, say you're pasting a long set of text in, <laughs> uh, in Xcode in a multi-line string and, uh, you don't want, say, say for whatever reason, um, cause you know, Xcode would never do this incorrectly indent what you're pasting in. Right. Say you do paste, uh, w- without formatting, mm-hmm. right? Which is an option. I think it's uh, command option shift V and, uh, you end up having, uh, you know, you start, say, at the right indentation, but then you go fully leftmost for the rest of the string, right? So you don't have uh, indented, like, subsequent lines. That's invalid, right? Right. Whereas that would be valid in Ruby. And although fixing it isn't super hard and it ends up with something that's more visually pleasing, hopefully uh, the cost to that of, like, attempted compilation and then fail and then you go back and you fix it, uh, isn't so high as to make this an unworthwhile trade-off. Yeah, hopefully that is not a huge problem. Yeah, so there's um, there's a few other little gotchas with this. You can't have any part of the string that uh, that is on the same line as either the uh, the leading characters, uh, quote characters, or the trailing quote characters. So you need to have a new line after the leading triple quote character mm-hmm. uh, and you need a new line before the trailing uh, triple quote character. Right, right. Which I think uh, that's something that I like a lot. I think that will keep things clean. Um, and in other languages where you have different types of 
multi-line string literals or, you know, it's always like, where are you going to put like the beginning and ending quotes? Like, or it's kind of like the, uh, the curly brace situation, like curly braces on the same line or a new line. And if you're doing like dictionary literals or something like that in Objective C or literals in, in Swift, where do you put the brackets, same line or new line? It's nice that this enforces that. So you'll have a consistent style, consistent right. experience. Yeah. And, um, from what I can tell here, either a string interpolation from within a multi-line string uh, either, is either untested mm. or doesn't work. So looking at uh, pull request 8813 from John that uh, produces the, the first iteration of this, um, there's basically two places where there's string interpolation of these multi-line string tests. One of them is an invalid uh, multi-line string within another non-multi-line string. So you can't do that. Um, the error there is multi-line string literals are not allowed inside an interpolation. Uh, and then the only other occurrence of this uh, string interpolation in a test, tests that um, the string literal nine and then followed by the word kappa for whatever reason in this test, uh, completely arbitrary, only checks that kappa is in there, not that the line string literal embedded in the multi-line string literal mm -hmm. uh, was properly um, interpolated and, and rendered. So uh, yeah, I'm not sure if this is just an omission and it works or that it's not you know, actually being tested uh, or that it just doesn't work at all. So uh, some exercise for readers we could probably do for <laughs> some more tests in this. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully that will work when this ships though. Uh, if it doesn't, it that seems kind of defeats the purpose a little bit because yeah. one of the yeah. one of the things I'd love to use this with is for like uh, mini templates right right um, so right now say in, in Swiftland uh, I have a number of these kind of reporters that have all their own format and a lot of them are basically just a big blob of string with a bit of interpolation for um, like templated variables in in that string right sure. And uh, I'd love to just turn those into a multi-line string literal with interpolation. If I can't use interpolation, that really defeats the purpose. Yeah. So I'm I'm sh I'm almost convinced that this is either just an omission or it's in progress, and uh, and I'm sure it'll come. Yeah, definitely. One last uh, bit of trivia though: Objective C does have multi-line string literals, and I think a lot of people don't know how these work that's right the uh objective c so objective c strings you have the at sign then you have your quotes um to do a multi-line string literal in objective c you just have that uh across multiple lines so you'd have at quotes some text your closing quotes a new line with new at symbol and then quote text quote and so on yeah um, but a lot of people are not aware of that and even in Objective-C, I still often accidentally try to concatenate strings with the plus operator. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. You won't get very far with that. Yeah. You can uh, you can actually omit the uh, the subsequent at symbols for Objective-C string oh, literals. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And not only that, but um, plain C, like even without the, the Objective-C um, uh -huh. like superset, uh, also has multi-line string literals. Okay. Um, where literally if you just have, uh, and, and these are, are for like char arrays basically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So just plain C strings. Um, if you just have multiple, you know, double quote 
strings mm -hmm. um, that are just separated by white space, those will be concatenated at compile time as well. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, but uh, Swift has no version of this whatsoever, as far mm -hmm. as I can tell. Yeah. The, the way that Objective-C implements this always felt very strange to me. It is very unintuitive just to have new lines. And you, you see it, like when you read it, you're like, what? What is happening here? How is this compiling? And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an odd experience. It is, but it really makes sense if you consider the constraints of Objective-C being a C superset. Sure. Right? Sure. Where yeah. literally, um, if you have just an array of chars, the way you do it is just double quote, string, double and double quote, and then new line, same thing, same thing, same thing. Right. And then for an NS string, you do the same thing that you do to convert a C string to an NS string, which is you just at, add, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, you add at in front of it. Right. Uh, and so it's it really makes sense when you look at it from that angle. Uh, but then, of course, you have the cruft of C that is influencing this decision. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think the Swift approach is a lot more modern. Yeah, I agree. So there's a few more uh, proposals and implementations that have been discussed recently that we uh, that we want to go over. Um, should we should we go with the proposals or with uh, the other announcement? Uh, let's finish the proposals yeah. first. So one of the ones that I'm um, very unusually excited about is reduce within out. Uh, so this is SE proposal 171, and it's brought to you by Chris Eidhoff um, of Obshi.io and Swift Talk fame. Um, great guy. Uh, if you see him in person, make sure to say hi. He's one of the nice, nicest people uh, that you'll ever meet. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and so he's uh, proposed this um, this addition, this variant of Reduce, which instead of um, basically providing a, a constant copy or at least a constant view into um, the combining variable that you're... Um, basically modifying and then returning a new version of every time, every loop as, as part of the reduce, uh, you're basically just mutating it. And I honestly think that they could have done a slightly better job in how they pitched this because um, if you start omitting some of the explicit type annotations, this can be extremely terse and concise. Right. Um, so if you've ever reduced into a dictionary or an array, and, and usually this is this is how you do it. If you have to make a mutable copy of the um, combiner that's basically returned as part of the closure, and then return the mutated copy, you can make use of reduce within out, where instead of getting an immutable uh, version of the combinator, if you will, this, you know, not in the functional term, but the, <laughs> yeah. oh man, naming, <laughs> always hard, um, uh, of this, of this result element, basically, um, instead of mutating it and, or making a mut mutatable copy, mutating that, and then returning the mutated copy, instead of doing that, you can literally just mutate it. Mm -hmm. which saves about two lines of code for a reduce that you'd want to do this for. Uh, but, but a ton of copies and overhead. It avoids copies, yes. And it, most of the time, the Swift compiler is actually going to be smart about this where it's not actually going to produce copy. Sure, sure. Um, because um, you're 
Reduce most of the time is actually performed synchronously and mm-hmm. sequentially. Uh, but if you wanted to do some sort of optimization with with reduce and have um, you know something that's performed in parallel, then that could avoid copies, uh, maybe. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> then you also have the is uniquely referenced aspect of the mutation there. So it's a whole other ballgame. But for now, you at least get the the nice terseness and conciseness of um, avoiding all the cruft around uh, making a copy, mutating that, returning the copy. You just mutate the thing that you're past. Right. Yeah. To give maybe a more, a slightly more concrete example for your listeners, uh, let's say you have an array of integers and you want to reduce that to a dictionary where the key is the string version of the integer and then the value is the integer. Um, in that closure, you'll receive uh, each element of the array and then you'll receive this dictionary that you're building up to um, set the, the key value pair there. And what JP was explaining is that that dictionary comes in as an immutable uh, parameter. Uh, And so you have to, in that closure, copy that dictionary uh, to a var, mutate it, and then return it. Um, And this, uh, the in-out version of reduce uh, lets you just mutate it directly. So nice little optimization and addition to the standard library. Right, and it's not strictly just a, a syntactical improvement. There um, are actually many cases in which uh, this will reduce the complexity, the the um, mm-hmm. uh, the algorithmic complexity of the operations that you're performing. Right. Um, so one of the examples, and this uh, Chris and uh, and Ben Cohen um, did a great job of explaining in the proposal, where um, say you're appending to an array. In uh, uh, in your reduce statement, say you're uniquing all of the elements of a sequence, um, uh, you can actually transform that algorithm from being uh, quadratic to being linear. Um, so instead of O n squared, it's O n. And so there are definitely a lot of cases where this is not only uh, terser um, and more concise and more legible, but also uh, this is one of the great joys of programming where you can identify an API that not only um, is easy to use, right. but actually improves performance um, and makes it harder to misuse. So I think this is, uh, as as small as this may look, it is a massive win um, and just beautiful all around. Yeah, for sure. One other, one final thing to note about this is uh, how the overloads of reduce are yes. resolved. So uh, if you're familiar, you can omit the uh, return in a lot of places in Swift, um, particularly with uh, these uh, these functions, um, map reduce filter, you can omit the return statement because it can be inferred um, by the compiler. Uh, but in this case, with uh, the normal non-in-out reduce, um, you need that return statement or, you know, currently Swift can just infer that. But with the in-out version of reduce, uh, there is no return because you are uh, just mutating that in-out parameter. Uh, so now uh, there's the situation where if you omit a return statement, uh, the compiler needs to figure out which version of reduce you intend to use, um, and hopefully it picks the right one. 
Yeah. Um, and this is this kind of goes back to a recurring theme here of um, the fact that a lot of these proposals and implementations are done uh, several months ahead of a significant number of Swift developers actually trying them out and using them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we brought up in the past, you know, maybe this concept that Swift could, uh, you know, go a little further than pro- uh, than producing snapshots of upcoming Swift versions and of what's in master in, in the Swift trunk, for example, and actually provide uh, ways for developers to try them out in sh- shipping official versions of Swift, mm-hmm. uh, you know, say with like compiler flags, or maybe it could be an external library that kind of implements uh, the ones that, that are possible with this. And so in practice, we might find that um, this uh, overload of reduce causes lots of ambiguous function reference, right? Mm-hmm. Which would be unfortunate. And I'm sure that in this case, like the reviewers and and Chris and Ben have definitely thought about this, uh, but there might still be kind of an impact that's difficult to measure until mass masses of people actually start using this. Right. I guess the... The solution here, if you run into that, is to just explicitly annotate that closure uh, with the types and the in-out keyword um, to specify uh, what you mean, or like explicitly write the return statement. That's right. To help the compiler out if you run into this, so uh, you'd lose a little bit of that uh, terseness, having to kind of write things out uh, more verbosely. But um, yeah. hopefully, those cases are rare. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that yeah, I, I can't really tell uh, which way it's going to go, but I'm I'm optimistic. You know, I'd like to know uh, what uh, initiated this with Chris to uh, to come up with this. I, I I mean, obvious there are obvious wins that we just mentioned, but knowing Chris, I bet there's some problem he ran into, or <laughs> like he already had this in like his own code bases and thought it would be useful. But I'm definitely curious to see if he if he saw some performance issue in a project and this is how he resolved it, or if there's uh, something else going on uh, that made him think of this. Yeah, and it'd be it'd just be fun to know if this was originally motivated by um, syntax and terseness, right. or if it was motivated by uh, the optimization mm-hmm. and with either way that it had the nice side effect of terseness or nice side effect of optimizing. Right. Uh, or if like all of this was just a synergy that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that led to, to, to this being like an quote unquote obvious uh, change. Right, right. right. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, that's... All, all of this conversation is exactly why I am unusually excited about this relatively small surface area change. Yeah, there, it's surprising how much there is to unpack here, really, with something that uh, seems so minor. Well, that's what we try to do here is unwrap <laughs> the rationale. Um, and then there's one more uh, Swift Evolution proposal that was recently accepted uh, that is really nice, just kind of a nice touch. Uh, and that's one-sided ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you what do you think about this? Yeah, so it's SE-172 from Ben Cohen, Dave Abrahams, and Brent Royal Gordon. This uh, is essentially amounts to syntactic sugar, right, for these uh, ranges on... For the most part, it is uh, syntactic sugar, but it also, it's, it's a bit more than that. So you can have the concept of an 
of a one side range is basically just providing uh, the start index or end index and saying, basically inferring implicitly that the other side is the start index or the end index. And this is useful as syntactic sugar for doing things like, um, say you wanna do a substring uh, and instead of providing a, a closed range for your substring, you provide a one-sided range. So instead of, um, say your, your string, is, string is the name of the variable, uh, square bracket, uh, start index, dot, 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 end index. Uh, say instead of that, uh, you just wanna say, um, start index dot dot dot. That just means that um, you have, well, you'll have the full string in this case, but you can have like start index, advanced by, et cetera, dot dot dot, and then you have substring from. And in some cases this can be terser, but it's more than just syntax. It's also usable um, basically in a standalone way. So if you want say an infinite loop that starts at 9,001, uh, you can have four I in um, 9001 dot, dot, dot. And it's basically an infinite loop starting from zero offset by 9001, right? So that's kind of useful. Right, right. And then you can use these range expressions um, in like switch statements as well. So you could switch on, let's say, integer I, and then you could have case 9001 dot, dot, dot. Um, and then that case would match anything that's over um, 9,001 or yeah. from 9,001 and over. Yeah, that would basically be producing um, uh, what's called a countable half open range, right? Where it has a concrete edge on one side, but not the other. And uh, and this is basically syntax that will allow um, kind of creating these in a, in a nice terse way. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're familiar with Ruby at all, Ruby's had this for quite some time. Um, and it's something that, that is occasionally useful. Yeah, I think it makes things uh, pretty easy to read as well, um, especially in these switch statements in this example in the proposal. I think that looks uh, pretty nice and like intuitive. Yeah, um, one of the things that I like, uh, like just mini example that they have here, say you have an array of strings um, and you want to zip the element of the array with um, just like an incrementing integer. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing... Uh, you know, zip array with um, array dot indices, you can do zip array zero dot dot dot. Right. Right. And it's basically just create me a bunch of integers until you run out. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it, it's not going to revolutionize the way that people write Swift, but it is going to make you know certain areas that might be overly verbose um, just a little bit terser and a little nicer to read. Uh, and in some cases, uh, the compiler can actually actually do some slightly uh, optimized um, decisions here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's one-sided ranges. So check it out, uh, SE0172. Yeah, and the final thing to discuss today uh, was this announcement from Ted Kremenich recently, uh, who's the project lead, uh, on Swift source compatibility and this new uh, source compatibility suite for testing. It's basically uh, some infrastructure that they set up to uh, test real-life Swift projects against Swift's source compatibility features. So as we've discussed before, 
uh, Swift 3 to Swift 4 is intended to be source compatible. You'll have this compatibility mode, so no one has to go through uh, this big painful migration again. And uh, eventually, there in Swift 4, there will be some minor uh, breaking changes, but users can opt into those on their own time uh, without being forced uh, to do it immediately. And um, you can do it piecemeal, file by file. Yeah, file by file. Um, with the availability checks, uh, is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There are availability checks for well. There's also com- Swift version compiler checks. Right. This tool also allows you to mix language version targets as well. So if you have like a bunch of frameworks in Swift three, but your app is in Swift four, you can compile all of that together. Yeah. yeah this- in a nutshell, this is basically just a suite of open source projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually one of the conditions for uh, for eligibility to be part of this compatibility test suite is that uh, it needs to be permissively licensed so that Apple can actually pull it in. Um, and basically, it's going to be a way to uh, continuously test changes that the core team does not expect or should not uh, break source compatibility. Um, and basically, you can provide... Uh, commits of these projects that are known to compile with, say, Swift Mm -hmm. 3.0 or Swift 3.1. And then as as changes are being merged uh, to, say, Swift 4 running in Swift 3 compatibility mode, um, this compatibility suite will run across the things that should still compile. And then... um, someone's probably just going to go into uh, Swift Jira and, and file a Jira about it. And uh, I do want to call out that uh, we kind of have uh, insight into a new contributor here. Which is, uh, name's Luke Larson. Uh, so this is the person who's uh, who appears to have done the bulk of the work here um, for the Swift compatibility suite. You can find it on GitHub, apple slash Swift dash source dash compat dash suite. That's a bit of a mouthful. We'll put a link to it. Yeah, he also wrote the uh, official blog post on the on Swift.org. That's right. Um, and so you have a number of uh, projects already that have um, that have submitted to be part of this. Uh, at this point, um, I count roughly about I don't know twenty maybe. Um, yeah, a couple dozen. Or... Actually, thirty-two projects um, as we record this. Uh, Swiftlint's part of that, so I, I sent that in uh, fairly quickly after this was announced, just because we have been bit in the past by uh, changes to Swift that uh, we didn't happen until it it was actually released. Um, And as a side note, so I think this is absolutely amazing. I would have loved for them to do this a little earlier even, because we have seen 3.x changes break compatibility with 3.0, but better late than never. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wouldn't even call this late by any stretch of the imagination because WWDC is still over a month away. Right, And um, this is going to be incredibly helpful. Um, And as a side note, this is extremely similar to something that I uh, had recently set up with SwiftLint itself, which I called OSS Check, which uh, pulled in a bunch of open source Swift projects that uh, I can run SwiftLint on. And uh, as part of every pull request to to, to SwiftLint, I would run basically... Uh, all of these open source projects, there's about a dozen, and then I would measure all of the style violations that are reported with SwiftLint Master and SwiftLint with the PR branch. 
And um, I would do things like uh, measure any sort of performance regressions or measure any sort of style violation regressions or fixes. And this was done mostly um, to be uh, proactive in terms of being aware of things like false positives before um, Swiftland is actually released. And then a user of that project reports it back. Like that's a fairly long feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And of course there are projects that I would just never hear anything about. You know, people would basically just work around it. And a lot of that applies to Swift itself as well. Um, and in fact, it's a lot more important for, for Swift to have these strong guarantees than it is for some linter. Um, so I'm extremely happy to see this happen and I can really vouch for how useful this is in practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is definitely great to see. Uh, if you want to add your library, uh, there's what looks to me like a pretty high bar to be approved and everything is specified in the repo. If your project meets all that criteria and adds value to this compatibility suite, then definitely make sure to add your project. I think they the goal is for them to accumulate quite a bit here. In addition to SwiftLint, there's Alamo Fire, as you'd probably expect, which is a very popular uh, Swift uh, networking library. Um, and uh, kind of funny to see here is Dollar, which we <laughs> talked about in a previous episode regarding source compatibility specifically. So it's nice to see that. That was something that was there at the project launch that the, the core team uh, included with this initially, um, along with uh, Kitura and Perfect, which Kitura is IBM's uh, server-side uh, Swift project, and then Perfect is another uh, server-side Swift project. Yeah, and the list has grown in the past few days. Yeah, I would really not say that it's uh, there's a very high bar to submit this. Basically, really? if, okay. if your project's permissively licensed and it compiles yeah. uh, in any sort of uh, Swift environment, um, you do need to be able to support either Xcode or the Swift Package Manager um, as a build tool. If your project uh, relies on, um, on Carthage, which... I find this a bit surprising because Carthage kind of depends on you having an Xcode project. Yeah. Um, but if, if say, you have a CocoaPods only build system mm -hmm. that you don't support the Swift Package Manager, you don't support Xcode, uh, then you won't be able to submit it to this. But, you know, I, I really think that uh, very few projects are like CocoaPods only. Right, um, right. And so there's... Uh, there are quite a few projects that, that can run there. And even if your project doesn't even compile on 3.1, if it compiles on 3.0 uh, and you just haven't updated it, that's still a candidate to be contributed here. So there's, uh, yeah, there, I would not call this a high bar. Yeah, uh, I'd maybe. say if you have a project that's open source, send it out. Sure, sure. I in the uh, in the readme for acceptance criteria, maybe I just intimidated myself. Um, there were there were some notes about maintaining the project, um, like having uh, someone who is actively maintaining the project. So if it's something that you're not actively maintaining or plan to abandon soon or something like that, then you probably shouldn't be submitting it. That's a good point. Um, on the other hand. Uh, you know, they can't actually measure that until <laughs> like much later after you've actually done the submissions. So sure. uh, it is a bit funny. I guess the worst thing that can happen is they just remove it if there's no Absolutely. maintainer. So. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. It definitely makes sense. 
I only have really one more thing to say about this, which is uh, the scalability of this. As we've seen uh, this project grow from, uh, I don't know how many projects there were when it was announced, but uh, uh, it's really grown rapidly in the last few days alone. And as we start to have, you know, twice as many, four times as many projects on this, uh, it might be really expensive to run the whole gamut of the, the entirety of the compatibility suite. Um, and so I hope that uh, they don't take that as a, um, a way to discourage new projects from being added once they reach like 100 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they can probably do is start culling some of the projects that have been added, especially if um, some projects are dependent on others. So, for example, I see that uh, Sorcery, which we've mentioned before, the code gen yep. tool that uh, Christoph Zaboki wrote, uh, that depends on um, the YAMS, YAML parsing framework, the source kitten <laughs> framework. Uh, it depends on um, all of its transitive dependencies. And so for this reason, you know, if I wanted to add source kitten, that wouldn't make sense, right? Because it's already being covered by a superset, basically. Right. Uh, and so they, one of the conditions here that they list is that um, uh, new projects must add value not already included in the test suite. Right. Um, so, you know, I hope that they actually continue to add value to the project without necessarily making this so large that it doesn't scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, last thing I'll say about that is um, that each compatibility test can be run in isolation for each project individually. So if they wanted to parallelize this, say, in CI and run all of it concurrently, they're only bounded by the number of machines and concurrent workers that they have. And so that might be, so it's nice to see that they've architected this in such a way that right out of the gate, they can run everything parallelized if it gets to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So they don't have a hard cap on uh, scalability there. Yeah. One other thing to note is that some of Kickstarter's uh, frameworks are on here. And uh, I was just wondering, like, oh, you know, like, why isn't the whole Kickstarter iOS app on here? Um, Because that's also open source. It's probably because they use CocoaPods to manage their dependencies, um, I guess. Or actually looking through here, it looks like maybe they don't use CocoaPods. Well, I'm not sure. I'll tell you why. Yeah. well, actually, no. I was going to say Swift Package Manager doesn't support building for iOS, but Xcode projects sure. are also supported here. So yeah, that, yeah. never mind. That doesn't... Yeah. Apply. my. So anyway, my thought here was it'd be nice. There's Kickstarter. I know Artsy has multiple apps that are uh, open source. It'd be nice to have... Heavily like, raw and CocoaPods, yeah, though. Yeah. Right. It'd be nice for this source compatibility suite to include these full iOS apps as part of this. Um to me, that's an even more like real life test, uh, aside from just like all these different frameworks. Absolutely. Um, and I think that would give a lot of signal um, on source compatibility breakage potentially. Yep, that's right. Um, and it it's a motivator for folks to open source their apps, uh, <laughs> yeah, which right. you know, as we've seen for for a lot of companies, it's a model that makes sense for Kickstarter for Artsy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I can't think of any other uh, big name 
apps that are open source, like full apps? Well, I can think of full apps, but none yeah. that are necessarily like a critical component of any one company. Uh, um, sure. So I do think that Artsy and Kickstarter are really uh, trailblazers in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of great fully open source iOS and Mac sure, apps. Sure, um, But they tend to be uh, more like community projects mm-hmm. than like large company you know, big bets on right. products. We should add a uh, brisk to the source compatibility. Yes. List. <laughs> yeah. I got complete the circle. <laughs> well, I think that's all uh, we have for this episode. Um, thanks again to uh, Perfect for sponsoring. Uh, you can find uh, their materials online. Perfect.org slash learn.html. And that's all for today. You can find me at uh, Jesse underscore underscore Squires on Twitter. You can find me at SimJP on Twitter. And of course, the show also has its Twitter handle uh, at Swift underscore Unwrapped. See you next week.